So the lead story tonight is the turbulent southern border. As I reported yesterday, this is one of three issues that could topple the Biden administration. And this issue is emotional, it's visible, and it's going to be very, very hard to keep the American people from knowing about it, even though the corporate media will try to ignore it as much as possible. So the Biden administration has made it much easier for undocumented folks to get into the United States in a variety of ways. Asylum, actual crossings. We saw a disaster in California yesterday. We'll tell you about that. But even though Joe Biden has only been president um, for a little more than a month, um, he has sent a signal to the world that you can come here. Now, he'll deny it, but it is undeniable, and the numbers prove it. Always go back to the facts, and here they are. So, the United States of America made 78,000 border arrests in the month of January. These are the latest stats we have. 78,000. This is up from 37,000 the previous January, 2020. Okay, so 37,000 January 2020 under President Trump, up to 78,000. These are just arrests. Okay, you assume a lot of other people get over. Second stat, right now, the Border Patrol is arresting 3,000 people a day. Did you think about that? From Brownsville to San Diego, 3,000 people are being arrested. They have to be processed. You have to deal with them at the flood. All right. That's an 86% rise in arrests in a year. Children. This is the most important issue. Um, in January, 4,000 children, unaccompanied by family members, arrived in the USA and were taken into custody by the Border Patrol. 4,000. That's a 19% increase from December. Okay, remember, the world knew Joe Biden won in November. All right, the world knew that there was going to be an administration change. So right now, total unaccompanied children at the border, um, 20,000, 20,000 kids right now, right this minute. All right, in January 2020, the number was 12,000. So there's 8,000 more. That's a 64% increase. What, are they, what happens to these kids? Well, you can't just send them back like some adults get sent back. They got to be tended to. All right. 97% of all the beds are full. 97%. The Office of Refugee Resettlement is not allowing media tours, so you can't see what I am reporting to you. Because of, they say because of COVID, but that's not the real reason. I mean, photographers and reporters go in there heavily masked, stay away from the kids and actually see what's going on. They don't want the media to see, they being the Biden administration, which controls access to the migrants who are under detention. Now, um, in California yesterday, 13 people were killed when a van 
was smashed into by a big rig, a truck. Okay, there were 25 undocumented aliens in that van, 25, 13 are now dead. The truck driver, 68 year old Joe Beltran from El Centro, California, is in the hospital. The driver of the van, a Mexican national, is dead. Now, they were able to get across and the van with the 25 undocumented because it was a breach in the wall. Okay, according to the Border Patrol. The wall was breached, van came in with the 25 people, 13 of whom are now dead. Now, this is what I said yesterday. This is a very dangerous, deadly situation at the border. You have the cartels controlling the smuggling of people. The cartels will shoot you in a blink of an eye. They'll rape you. They'll take all your money. They'll do whatever they want to do to you. If you're a migrant, because you're powerless. If you're a child, you can imagine. The strategy now is if you can get the undocumented child onto U.S. soil, the Biden administration will allow the entire family to come. So the strategy is that cartels charge the father, whoever it may be, five, six thousand dollars. Look, we'll get little Jose to the USA. He'll be then processed and then you'll be able to come over to care for him. That's the Biden policy. That's why you're seeing this flood of uh, children who are unaccompanied. This is all organized. You have to understand this. This is organized by the most vicious crime gangs on the planet. Okay. So I want to bring in a guy who has studied this um, and has had a lot of say in how President Trump handled the southern border. His name is Stephen Miller. He was a a White House senior advisor to President Trump, comes to us from Washington, D.C. Now, you know a lot more about this than I do, Stephen, and I don't say that very much to guests on this program. I'm a know-it-all, all right? I never say you know more than I do in a serious manner, but you do. Am I making any mistakes in my initial reportage on this subject to set you up? No, you summed it up perfectly. So the industry is get the kids here, get the asylum seekers here, because if we didn't even go over that, but if you uh, get to American soil and you say, I want asylum, they're going to keep you here, give you $1,100. You can go anywhere you want in the United States, for three or four years until your case is heard, correct? Exactly. When we came into the White House in 2017, in January, we inherited a system that colloquially was known as catch and release. It's a term everybody's heard. It's a term that I use quite frequently because it's a very accurate term to describe what happens. You show up at the border, you're apprehended, you're processed. There is maybe fingerprints that are taken, a cursory interview that is done, and then you're released pending a future hearing date. And the result of that, of course, is that smuggling organizations are able to sell transport to the United States very reliably. They'll say, give us 5,000, give us $6,000, we'll get you to the US border, and within a week, you'll be in Chicago, Los Angeles, New York City, somewhere else, wherever you wanna go. Louisville, doesn't matter. And that is very lucrative for the organizations that are wreaking havoc 
not just in Mexico, but also throughout the Western Hemisphere and certainly in the Northern Triangle. Okay. We the now, the, the children, this is a relatively new thing to get the children here so that their families can follow. How did you guys deal with that? Yeah, so great question. So we began putting in place policies that effectively said, if you arrive with children, instead of being released, you're going to be detained and returned either to home or to Mexico to wait for your hearing date. Another policy we put into place was said, if you want to apply for asylum, you'll have to apply in a different country. So if you're from Guatemala and you want to apply for asylum, you have to apply in Honduras or in El Salvador. These policies effectively ended catch and release. In other words, instead of coming into the United States, requesting asylum and getting a hearing date in two or three years, we presented you with a menu of different options. We said, you can A, go to Mexico and apply for asylum from there. B, you can go back to your home country. Or C, you can request asylum in a different safe country. Those were the policies that the Biden administration got rid of in the first four weeks. So that's the reason why you're now seeing this surge, this flood, because they've suspended the policy of resettling asylum seekers in alternate countries. They're now being released into the United States and their hearing dates will be years from now and they're unlikely to ever participate in those hearings. Right, and there's 1.4 million cases pending now. That'll double, I think, in the next 12 months to about 3 million cases pending, which will take six years. Now, why, why does President Biden want this policy? Why? So I think there's a few different things going on here. Over the last five or six years, we've seen the Democrat Party switch from being soft on immigration to embracing a total philosophy of open borders. And there's no other way to put it in the sense that if you show up at the United States illegally and you simply say a magic sentence, you simply say, I want an asylum hearing and you get released, how's that different from an open border? That's what the definition of an open border is. And we've seen that evolution happen, really, I would say probably since um, 2013 until today, uh, when we saw the first surge of, of uh, young migrants, if you remember back to 2013, 2014, and instead of coming up with the plan to reunite them in their home countries, the Obama administration just had a 100% resettlement policy. Since then, the left has really taken over the Democratic Party and they've adopted a position of completely open borders. I think the reason for that is because the left, the Democrats, they think illegal immigration ultimately is good for them because they assume that most illegal immigrants who either A, get amnesty at some point in time, or B, they have children, will shift the politics of the country further to the left. I, I think they also believe that having a, a, a sort of a captive low-wage class is also probably good for Democrat policy priorities versus having a larger, more robust middle class, which I think they think is probably better for Republicans. I'll make one other point on this, which is that in addition to that hardcore leftist attitude that's taken over the Democrat Party on this issue, I think there's also some extraordinary reckless naivete on the part of some in the Biden administration, where they were probably so foolish that they actually believed they could dismantle Trump's policies and that nothing would happen. That they actually believed they could get rid of our border security measures and the flood wouldn't come. That they could somehow charm the way out of it. I That's don't think so. That's proven to be a deadly mistake. Yeah, I don't think they're that stupid. Um, but Joe Biden himself, um, there's a mystery. 
Right. Because, you know, he, he isn't a radical leftist. However, he surrendered totally to them. Any theories as to why? Yeah, so that is the question, right? So is Biden being totally, completely controlled by the radical left inside of his own party? Or is this a case in which he is just hopelessly, completely naive or both? My suspicion is, is that Biden has always been a weather vane for the Democratic Party. So whatever was popular or ascendant within his party over his career, he's been for. So when the Democrat Party had a brief period where they were tough on crime, and Biden said things that were tough on crime. And when he ran for, for president in the most recent cycle, and the Democrat policy was let everybody out of jail and be tough on police and thoughts on criminals, that became his new position. So I think he said, you know what? The Democrats are now an open borders party, and I'm just going to go along with that. I think that he probably did not appreciate just how disastrous the consequences of that would be I think the people who are working underneath him, this is their goal. Let's be very clear. The mass entrance and release of criminal aliens and illegal aliens that are happening now with both the ICE and Border Patrol policy changes is the goal. So they're accomplishing what they wanted to. Well, it's going to backlash on them. Um, you wait and see. I know it will. Final question. Your administration, the Trump administration, was criticized for keeping kids in cages the far left press made a big, big deal out of that. It was pointed out the policy wasn't that much different than that of President Obama, that children were put in certain facilities. They weren't cages. But do you think that the same policies are under President Biden or the kids, do they have better facilities now when they come over here? They had, the, they had better facilities when we were in charge. The, the Trump facilities were far better than the Obama facilities. This has one, been one of the most execrable, horrible lies that have been told over and over again under the theory that if you lie enough, people will accept it. There were never kids put in cages under the Trump administration. The Obama administration in Border Patrol facilities built partitions to separate, say, a 45-year-old criminal alien from Honduras from, say, an 11-year-old girl traveling alone from Guatemala. They built the partitions for the safety of everybody involved. We inherited that, and then we built nicer facilities that we then handed off to the Biden administration, which are now, of course, overflowing because they've suspended most removals. All right. It's a grim picture, Stephen. You know it's grim. But I think that a year from now, and we have this on tape, of course, uh, the American people are going to be absolutely apocalyptic about how President Biden is dealing with this. We appreciate your time very much tonight. Thanks, Stephen Miller. Thank you so much. From Washington, right. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. 
So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. I don't know anybody who likes to cancel culture. My liberal friends don't like it. Conservative friends are crazy about it. I don't know anybody. Now we're going to add to the cancel culture reparations. All right, reparations. Joe Biden's studying as a commission that he's going to give money, taxpayer money, to African-Americans. That's what Biden wants to do. This, of course, will cause, as I said, all kinds of angst. Now, Biden has already told you about equity, which is favoring one group of Americans over another group. That's what equity is. Okay, it's not all men are created equal. No, no, it's some groups are going to get more stuff from the federal government and some groups aren't. But those groups who are not are going to pay for this stuff that we give to the favored groups, the most favored groups. That's equity. Okay, so that's what reparations is. Now, will it get through? No. Will it pass as law? No. I can't see it happening. All right, because conservative Democrats in the Senate, no, they're not going to go for it. So you'll peel off five or six Democrats in the Senate going to tell Chuck Schumer to go, you know what? It's not going to get through, but by executive order, by uh, other fiats, there will be government resources directed to certain groups. Now, that in itself is not a bad thing. I have said for decades that minority Americans, children coming from devastated families should get special attention in the public schools. Right. You can put them under learning um, challenged or whatever. They special attention. That's good. We should all pay for that. It's not the kid's fault. The father runs out on them. Okay, not the kid's fault that 72 percent of African-American families now birth children out of wedlock. That's not the kid's fault. The government has a moral obligation to help those children. Okay? And don't tell me it's the parents this, it's the parents that. Government can't do that. Can't force you to be a good person or a good parent. It's impossible. But you can help kids. And that's the key to giving them an equal opportunity someday to pursue happiness. All right. So that's the reparation stuff. And we'll be reporting more on that as uh, it unfolds. The cancel culture social stuff is more annoying than anything else. So I just put together a list of 12 things that have been canceled. Put the first six up on the screen. The Muppets. The Muppets are now, I don't know whether they're fascists or racists or what they are. Okay, but the Muppets are no good. Aunt Jemima gone. Aunt Jemima, the pancake, uh, no more Aunt Jemima. Mrs. Butterworth is going with Aunt Jemima into retirement. I hope maybe they'll be down in the villages. I, I don't know, but they're gone. Uncle Ben, he goes. 
He goes with uh, the aunt and Mrs. Butterworth. Cream of wheat. No more cream of wheat. I don't know why. Eskimo pies. Gone. Intuit pies? Eskimo, you can't say Eskimo. Here's a second. Land of Legs butter. Gone. Because they had an Indian on the package. Gone. Gone with the wind. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Read the book or watch the movie Gone with the Wind. Mr. Potato Head. You can't have Mr. Can't have a patriarchy. Nope. Mr. Potato Head sometimes is going to morph into something else. Washington Redskins, gone. Cleveland Indians logo is gone. I think Indians is going too. Uh, I haven't updated uh, what's going on in Cleveland, but Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was a bully. Bully, Rudolph, toast. Rudolph, gone. Dr. Seuss. Okay, Dr. Seuss, uh uh-uh. Loudoun County, Virginia, beautiful county. No more Dr. Seuss. Okay, there's the guy who invented it, Theodore Seuss Geisel, born in 1903. In his early years, Theodore was a racist, apparently. Okay, even when he was writing the Dr. Seuss books. All right. Okay, he's a racist. That's bad. I don't know why he was. Okay, all I know is now the whole reading stuff is going out um, because this guy was a racist in his early years. He changed. Dr. Seuss changed. Everybody admits that he, he, he became a good person. I don't know how. I don't care. All right. Now, Barack Obama, all right, this is what he said in 2015, the president. The works of Theodore uh, Seuss Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss, have sparked a love for reading in generations of students. His whimsical wordplay and curious characters inspire children to dream big, remind readers of all ages that a person's a person no matter how small. That's Barack Obama six years ago. No, not anymore. Dr. Seuss, see you later. Um... Donald Trump, by the way, he liked Dr. Seuss, too. He said, um, in the still vibrant words of Dr. Seuss, you have brains in your head, you get feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose. That was Donald Trump, 2018. Um, let's, I have more on Dr. Seuss, but you get the message. Let's bring in one of our favorite guests, Brett Tomlin, former U.S. attorney for Utah. He's in Salt Lake City. Um, today, vote was taken to advance the nomination of the new Attorney General, Merrick Garland, to the full Senate for a vote. Um, I don't think there's any question that Garland will be um, confirmed as a new Attorney General, unless there's accusations. You know, you never know about that. First of all, Brett, do you sure. like Garland? You think he's a good man? Well, you know, I've always liked him as a, as a judge. I thought he was very fair. Um, I thought he you know, conducted his courtroom and his his opinions were, you know, largely apolitical. But it was a very different story during his nomination. He, he seemed rather weak and, and um, you know, and unaware of, of, a, of a lot going around him. Uh, I think he's certainly overwhelmed. And this this job may be maybe bigger than he is. All right. Um, when he said he didn't know whether he would enforce border law, that that means I wouldn't vote for him. I just would. Right. Oh, if you're going exactly. to be the new attorney yep. general, you got to know whether you're going to enforce the law on the border or not. 
Because if you're not, wait, wait, if you're not going to enforce it, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're violating your oath of office right off the bat because it says you have to force the laws. Right. That's exactly right. And this is this is exactly right. And it's what uh, it's what Holder did. Eric Holder did. So this is a new trend of a sitting attorney general picking and choosing which laws they'll enforce. And and that should scare everybody. Yeah. I mean, that's what the sanctuary cities are based on. And I I mean, nobody in a right mind thinks that Garland Garland would go after sanctuary cities. I mean, you know, so he's a political appointee, but he'll get through because it's a deal thing, and uh, the Republicans in the Senate will trade something off for Garland. You know how it works. Okay, so the FBI, yep. the DOJ is investigating um, Andrew Cuomo. I don't know really what for. Uh, cover up the information about deaths, COVID deaths in nursing homes. I guess that's what it's about. Can you help us there? Yep. I've, I've spoken to a couple of sources that are, you know, in the Department of Justice and one of them, a, a, a fellow U.S. attorney actually right now in office that has indicated that, uh, yeah, the, the investigation got reinvigorated um, after some of the, the exposure of the lies and the efforts to try to hide. I mean, Bill, they can use they can use wire fraud on uh, in order to gain access to a lot of his communications. Uh, and then they can look at obstruction of justice and and even, um, you know, because they asked questions, the Department of Justice asked questions, they're looking at whether or not he has lied or, or, or had others lie on his All behalf right, so what to you, federal officials. What you're saying is they can find a crime if they want to. They can find it. That's right. But Merrick Garland's not yep. going to want to. He's not going to want to. No, you're. <laughs> no, it, it, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable right now because it used to be that Somebody, in, you know, if you're a Democrat in office and you held the prosecutorial power, you really wanted to be the one to show folks that you put politics aside and you would go after those in your same party. Now it's not the case. No You, way. you don't prosecute no those way. in your same party. Right. And on that note, the district attorney of Manhattan wants to find a crime about Donald Trump's financial dealings. And so now he's got all the tax returns. Um, but here's the, the rub on that. If Donald Trump and his organization file the tax returns legitimately to the IRS and they didn't have a beef, how can an attorney general in a jurisdiction then override that and charge Trump with anything? Yeah, I mean, you hit, you hit the nail on the head. The IRS, if there's ever an agency that would love to take down someone like Donald Trump, it's the IRS. And they have had years and years and years. And it's... it's a, Look, it's it's the IRS code is ridiculous, and 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 bringing a charge is very difficult when you have somebody that's a businessman that has lawyers, you know, has tax tax professionals on their on their team, but the DA is going to take a view that he can bring exposure to state tax issues and, and representations on his tax returns that he thinks he could prosecute. So this is this is a long time before there's a resolution on this kind of no, I know, but they'll find something. You know they will. They, yeah, they hate him something. and they're looking for him. All right, John Durham uh, of the infamous Durham report that I have lost all interest in because I don't think it's credible at this point. Uh, he resigns as U.S. attorney in Connecticut, but He's not quitting as the overseer of the Durham report, whatever that means. Can you explain it to us? Yes. I, 
there there was a um, notice given to every sitting 92 U.S. attorneys that they were to step aside and offer their resignations. And, you know, Durham, I mean, this is not necessarily, you know, unprecedented. Bill Clinton did the same thing. John Durham, probably knowing that he hasn't really been leading that office um, except, you know, remotely while he investigates this, probably stepped aside in order to be a good soldier, but I'm told that uh, there was no inclination for him to step aside as special counsel. All right, but come on, right? I mean, it's- uh, It's know. too long, Bill. It's been come too on. long. It's, it's, it's just lost not gonna happen. Yep. Right. I mean, maybe they'll get some other guy. They got one FBI guy or something like that, but it's just not. And Hunter Biden, forget it. I mean, it's never. And never, I'm, ever. I'm still holding out a little years. bit of hope. On no, uh, no. But, but, but I could be, I could be wrong on that one too. Yeah, you, I mean, I, I hope you're right. I hope justice I is hope done. So. I, I mean, all I want is justice. That's it. If Hunter Biden didn't do anything, oh, fine. If uh, there was no uh, corruption within the FBI or CIA on Russian collusion, fine. Find that hard to believe. Uh, with all right. we know, but, you know, I don't think at this point, Brett, any clear thinking America, American has any confidence in the Department of Justice. Last word. Yes. And, and that's why Director Ray needs to be replaced. And if Merrick Garland can't conduct this in a way that shows he's above politics, then he needs to be replaced. We need to get back to a Department of Justice happen. that will investigate it. Yeah, yep. not going to happen under Biden. It's just not. All right, Brett, thank no. you very much as always. Stay well out there in Utah. Thanks, Bill. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast, politics by faith. Now, why does the left want to keep everything shut down? Isn't that the key question here? Why? It's never been defined. There isn't a paper I can show you or an opinion piece that I can show you now why the progressive left wants to keep the country shut down. Now, they'll say, well, because we, we, want, we don't want you to get COVID. We don't want the kids to get COVID. We don't want anybody to get COVID. It's all about us being humane. It's us. We care so much about you, O'Reilly, and your family and everybody else that we just don't want any chance of COVID getting to you. So we're going to shut everything down. And the teachers aren't showing up. Now, the collateral damage of that is way more than getting COVID, unless you're an older person with uh, a precondition. Um, but you can't debate it. But here's the real reason, in my opinion. I can't back it up, but in my opinion. Okay. The progressive forces in this country want a strong central government in Washington and each state capital run by progressives, far left people. They want the government to tell Americans what to do, when to do it, 
how much they can have, how much they have to give to the government. They want to control our lives top to bottom. One way to control is to have the power, whether it be the president or the governor, telling you when you can open your business, how many people you can have in there. They want to establish that control. COVID has given them the opportunity to establish central government control, which is the key to socialism. There isn't any country ever that's been a hardcore socialist government that hasn't had totalitarians running it. And that means removing freedom of speech, dissent, all of that. That's what I think is going on here. But again, I can't prove it. Another crazy liberal state is New York. So uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo um, had a press conference today, first one uh, in a long time. And the most serious allegation against the governor is doesn't have anything to do with misbehavior in women. It has to do with him covering up an executive order he signed that allowed senior citizens with COVID who had it to go into nursing homes where they live and spread it to everybody else. Cuomo did that. It's almost inconceivable, but he did it. And then he tried to cover it up. And his own people admit it. So they're not allegations. It's basically on the record that he did it. So now the Justice Department is in investigating. Now, will anything happen to Andrew Cuomo under Merrick Garland, the new attorney general? Probably not. Probably not. The state of New York also investigating it. That's a little more shaky for Cuomo because Letitia James, the attorney general, wants to be governor, wants to take Cuomo's place. So she's got an agenda to get him. But Cuomo himself, okay, the misconduct stuff, he's going to get by that because there's no recall here, you know, to impeach him. They're not going to do that. He'll probably get by that. He knows he will. And so today he said this, go. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never knew at the time that I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. I never knew at the time I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. And I certainly never, ever meant to offend anyone or hurt anyone or cause anyone any pain. And I've learned an important lesson. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for whatever pain I caused anyone. I never intended it. Uh, and I will be the better for this experience. Thank you. Okay. So there'll be more misconduct. That's the way this works. Okay. Because there are people who want Cuomo out. The progressive left doesn't want him as governor because he's not loony left enough for them. The Ocasio-Cortezes, the de Blasios, they want him out. So believe me, they're looking for other people to accuse him of misconduct, okay? 
So don't be surprised if that comes. But he'll get by that. But I don't think he can run again. Here's a very interesting thing. No one will report but me, which is why you are here. So there is a Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology. It is based in Great Britain. A man named Eric Kaufman is a member of this center. He did a study on conservatives on college campuses, okay, both in the USA and Britain and Canada. So here's what he found out. One in three conservative academics and graduate students have been disciplined or threatened because of their beliefs. One in three. All right. Four in 10 American academics say they would not hire a known Trump supporter for a job. Forty percent. Okay. Seventy five percent of American and British conservative academics in social sciences and humanities say their departments offer a hostile climate for conservatives. Seventy five percent. Okay. And so the conclusions of the study is this quote. At this point, only a proactive approach can work, such as the policies recently announced in Britain, in which public universities are to be audited and potentially fined for academic freedom violations each year by the government. In the U.S., state or federal authorities must regulate public universities to ensure they protect the First Amendment rights of staff and students and don't discriminate against political minorities. That would be conservatives. Unless reforms come from the outside, the academy universities will continue to be monocultures in which conservative ideas are not given a fair hearing, unquote. Now, under President Biden and the Democratic Congress, the government will not do anything about the fascism on college campuses. But if the Republicans gain power, they could do what Mr. Kaufman recommends, audit to see if students and faculty of conservative beliefs are being punished on colleges. And if so, fine the colleges like they are in Great Britain. Fine them, big time. That's what has to happen. Case in point, St. Joseph's College in Philadelphia. So there's a conservative math professor who's against reparations. Right? He has been suspended with pay because he tweeted this, quote, suppose your great-great-grandfather murdered someone. The victim's great-great-grandson knocks on your door, shows you the newspaper clipping from 1905, and demands compensation from you. Your response, now get this racist reparation BS out of your head for good, unquote. The guy's toast because of that. College has suspended him because of that tweet. The Sentencing Project, you know what that is? So it's a group, advocacy group, that wants more lenient treatment for Prisoners, convicts, people in prison, um, even killers, murderers. So the study says that two-thirds of prisoners serving life sentences in America are people of color. All right? 200,000 people are serving life. Two-thirds of them are people of color, according to a study by the Sentencing Project. But here's what the Sentencing Project leaves out. 60% of all American homicides are committed by African-Americans, 60%. African-Americans comprise 13% of the population. So yeah, yeah, if 60% of all the murders 
are being committed by a group, that group is going to have life sentences out of proportion. But you wouldn't know that by reading the Sentencing Project report, would you? Okay, Sentencing Project uh, urges reforms, voting rights for inmates, commuted sentences for uh, inmate populations at the federal level most vulnerable to the coronavirus, um, abolishing life without parole sentences, so that if you're a serial killer, if you kill 50 people, the Sentencing Project does not want you to get life without parole. Okay? Limiting sentences to 20 years, except in rare cases. So if you kill your wife, your husband, your children, 20 years, not life. This is uh, the far left. This is what the progressive movement wants. There are 42% of people serving life for drug trafficking. These are the top of the line cartel people. All right. These are the mafioso chieftains who import tons of heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, and they should serve life. Now, I told you about the cable TV industry falling apart. Okay. All right. So now I'll back it up with facts. So as I know many of you do watch cable TV. So MSNBC and CNN, in February, this February, just a few days ago, their ratings were higher this year than last because of the new incoming Biden administration. But in the past 10 days, CNN and MSNBC have crashed. We will see that number in April, okay? Now, they came out with the February numbers, and I thought Fox News was pretty interesting. So when I was at Fox, we were dominant number one. Every show, everywhere, wasn't even close. It wasn't a challenge on any level, anywhere, for 16 years. It took us four years to get there, and then we held it. Now, um, total day viewers, FNC, February 2021, down 32% from year to year. That's because Donald Trump isn't there. All right. Primetime viewers down 30%. The 25 to 54 demo in primetime, which is what they set their ad rates at, down 38%. It's a catastrophe. And I knew it was going to happen because Donald Trump was the star of all cable news for five years. And now he's not there. And so they were so dependent on him. But what do they do now? People don't care about Andrew Cuomo. So I thought you'd like to know that. So as I said in my column um, on BillOReilly.com, the Kavanaugh effect, all of this Cuomo piling on now is karma. Governor of New York on the ropes. He's done as a national figure. I don't know whether he survives in Albany or not, but it's really brutal. All right, the pylon is terrible. So I asked my staff, because I just can't do this anymore, to watch The View today, to see how they handled Andrew Cuomo. And in the beginning, as I write in my column, the left ignored the story, but now they can't. So The View is a hate fest, not Whoopi Goldberg. I'm giving her a pass. I don't think she's a hater. Known her a long time. But Behar and Navarro, they are haters off the chart. Disney writes them a check every week. You make the call on that. Anyway, they blame Republicans. 
for Cuomo. That's what they did. Just thought you'd like to know. See you tomorrow.